Hey guys, welcome back to A Bite of D&D, the podcast that adds flavor to your games and campaigns. I am your host, Zach, and across the internet from me is my co-host, Micah. Hey guys. And today, we are joined by David Barentine. David, why don't you say hello? Hello, everybody. So David is a really exciting guest for us. He has recently put out his first offerings, his first fruits on the DMs Guild, and um, we were able to pick it up, take a look at it. It's really great, and he's been gracious enough to come on here, talk to us a little bit about the creative process, and maybe tease a little bit of what's coming out in the future with him. And then we'll just talk some D&D as well later on during this episode. So yeah, David, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your adventure just to start things off. Well, I mean, I myself probably am not that exciting. I just go about my life. I'm a front-end web developer, so I spend all day typing a keyboard, making websites look pretty, and then when I come home, that's when the magic happens, and I get to sit at my table for my second full-time job and start working on my D&D stuff, because prepping has become a large part of my life. (laughs) I understand that. Now, we were talking briefly before we started recording, and you have just kind of wrapped up what amounted to about a five-year campaign. You've got the adventure stuff you're working on. And so you've obviously had your games as well. Are you just really running the one game alongside this? Or are you trying to run multiple games alongside your extensive adventuring creative process? Well, it's a single game, but part of it is we have the main story that everybody was adhering to. And the main story jumps us from what I've always wanted to do, go from level one to level 20 in an overarching campaign. But I also wanted a world that felt organic and real. So as they were traveling throughout the world, I had to create side adventures and side stories that fit into what they were working on. So the adventure that we're going to talk about tonight is actually a story that I wrote up as kind of a tryst through a small village that uh, I ended up playing with my group. And then as other friends would come over and I wanted to introduce them to it, would play through it as well. I ended up playing through it about four or five times before this one became the first adventure that I wrote. The overarching story is a bit more ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, for the moment, let's stick with the lights out at the Night Watch Lighthouse. The, uh, uh, I would say, tier one early level adventure. Is that is that a fair assumption for this one's level range? That is a very fair assessment. I'm looking for this one to be a level one to level three party size of four to six adventurers. There are some suggestions in here for the upper end of this if you have the level three party or you have six players instead of four just to make certain that you have that good balance so there's a decent challenge by the time you get to the end of it yeah but it is definitely tier one we were discussing at the beginning and and that kind of confirms our suspicions i was assuming this this to me looked like it was primarily a level one to two adventure i feel like once you hit three you'll start adjusting it still works perfectly fine but you'll want to throw some extra things in there i think Indeed, yeah. The last thing you really want is bring in a group of level 15 players and just destroy it. (laughs) You know, but the thing is, there's good bones here. I think if you replace the monsters with something more appropriate, maybe not level 15, but definitely tier 2 play could still see some use out of this. You'll just have to change a few of the monsters around, maybe. Right. Definitely substitute something in. Maybe instead of at the end, you do something major like oh there was a demonic cult that got destroyed but their demon is still down there and on the loose yeah right i could definitely see that happening but i think it shines best at where it's at as a a tier one kind of level one level two 
because you you're throwing in some game elements that I feel like people don't often explore early on, but also some monsters that I feel like oftentimes get overlooked. Yeah, which ones are you th- uh, which ones do you feel get overlooked in it? Primarily, honestly, the harpies. I feel like they don't get used or nearly as much love as they deserve because they can be fairly scary with that uh, song of theirs to a low-level group. And I completely agree with that. Harpies, I don't know if I've actually seen them played in too many things. And they're just, they are terrifying beasts. And I'll be honest, the first few renditions of this had a few more harpies in it, and I've had to tone it down significantly because I've had two TPKs on this. Yeah, well... Harpies are the sirens of the air, and just as a siren lures sailors to drowning death, harpies are ideal characters, creatures for luring, pulling characters to a a, a death by falling. Well, the especially scary thing about, you mentioned you had to pull some harpies out, is typically when someone succeeds on a save, they're immune to that effect in general. And with the Harpy's Luring Song, they're only immune to that specific Harpy song. Uh, right. So the more you add, the scarier that gets. Yes, and initially the, there's a, a first combat on a ship, and I think it's funny that you say that the Harpies are the sirens <laughs> of, the, of the air. But yeah. in this instance, they're the sirens of the sea as well, because if you're in heavy armor at level one and you get caught oh, yeah. with a song, you're going to be tempted to step off of the boat. Right. Yes. But uh, yeah, the initial setup was there were three harpies on the boat. And I tried to counterbalance that with a unique mechanic using a harpoon gun, which Mm -hmm. would do almost half damage uh, if you hit on one of them. But that still left two. And that is not a good balance for a first level party. <laughs> yes. Now, now let me let me rewind just a half a second here. I think I'm, I'm we're maybe I maybe preassumed um, some knowledge of our audience that they don't have. Can you give us the elevator pitch for what this adventure's plot is for somebody that doesn't know anything about it? What is what is the selling point of this adventure? All right, all right. I've got this. I'm going to do it in my DM style. If you're ready, hey, I'm ready. It's a dark, stormy night. Off in the distance. A bright light cracks through the darkness. That bright light is a guiding beacon to many sailors on the stormy seas. But as you've grown accustomed to seeing it that night, you realize this night, the light no longer shines. Rumors start to spread across the town that you're in. Pine Pass is full of people speculating what could be happening. Is it demons? Is it harpies? Nobody knows. The local sheriff has gone off to deal with it, and in over a week has not returned. Now... It falls on this group of mercenaries and adventurers who can be hired out to find the root cause, but they have to make it quick, because if something's not done soon, the line of the coast will be scattered with the remains of boats that could not see through the darkness. Perfect. I think that hopefully will get people up to snuff. So we're an adventuring party going and figuring out what is up with the extinguished lighthouse, and we've already talked about the fact that there are both, as you as you hinted, there are both harpies and demon worshippers at work here. Indeed. And I want to do something a little special with this one because I wanted this to be an introduction. I'm, it's a tier one, so obviously it's an introduction to a story, but I wanted this to be an introduction to new players. So what I tried to do when creating this one was I kept a specific mindset for a few different things. Uh, I wanted to do a little role play. Obviously, I wanted a dungeon crawl. I wanted to introduce using outside mechanics, and I wanted to introduce using uh, skill challenges. 
Yeah. So when we start, we start a little differently than usual. Instead of the you're in a bar and you overhear this, you're people from this town. Your adventurers are from Pine Pass and you already are aware of what's going on. Speculation and rumors are spreading. And as they're starting to spread, you find on the notice board in the middle of town, basically come see the mayor. There's a job. And that allots for you to expand on that with some role play. And I give a little bit of a detail on what the mayor is going to tell you, what information you're going to get, and to a degree how the mayor's personality is. So that it allots for a bit of role play to expand upon there at the very beginning and really get people into their character right as you're starting the game. That's what made me say, hey, we need to talk to this guy after reading the adventures that I did feel like, yeah, it has all these little bits and pieces of what an introduction should have. And then also it has all these other things that I feel like a solid product off the DMs Guild should have, which is, and I, you mentioned a couple of them, but it's some some additions to the game. Like you have the harpoon and you have a couple of uh, homebrew low-level magic items. Like it's you bringing your own thoughts and ideas to, to the mechanics of the game. It has a good, concise story that doesn't have a lot of debris excess on it and it doesn't have it doesn't leave me wanting either and then finally it has some excellent maps and artwork within all those things bundled with exactly what you just mentioned about it being a perfect little intro i think makes this like a really really nice product and if you don't mind i'll I'll just go ahead and tell people on the dms guild it's like a little over two dollars which i think for an intro adventure is very very reasonable i think you get a a little bit of everything and i think it would it's worth taking a look at especially if you've got a new group now one thing that you put in there david that i really liked was actually i'm curious to see you put in a writ of passage and you put it in bold as an item and i really like that because it's one of those like special boons that people can get out of the dm's guild is like uh, the dungeon master's guide as like a suggestion for here's a reward that you might be able to give to a party that's different than just magic loot or gear. Here's something that they might find of use. And I really like that, that you brought that up and brought it into play right out the gate. Right. Well, I've always been of the mindset that not every treasure needs to be gold. Sometimes the treasure can be something as simple as a key that unlocks another story element. Yeah. And in this case, the writ of passage is what you pick up from the mayor to allot you the ability to use a vessel to get over to the lighthouse it's nothing big it's just your permission to use i guess city boats but it feels like something when you get it and it's almost like a reward for the role play part that is uh, set up at the very beginning one well, like and that. this is definitely a setup for other potential adventures across those islands uh, oh absolutely and so and i wanted it like that right and so when you kind of make pine pass maybe your home for a while and set out to investigate this, you're going to have to use those boats with some regularity. So it definitely does feel like it has weight. Speaking of good game design when it comes to rewards like this, uh, just slightly off, but that's a similar thing with Gloomhaven that I've been doing on my off Thursdays from D&D, is some of the treasures you pick up are just maps to other scenarios that you can do, and it's, it's still exciting to get a hold of those. And I think it applies here as well. Now you have access to those other islands and a means of getting around that you wouldn't have otherwise had. And for those of those listeners that you have, that haven't actually looked at this yet. I also do that in the end of this and the midpoint of this, you're going to be able to come across these open ended story elements that kind of tease and push you towards these other islands. There are maps in uh, two different places that are just the maps 
with X's marked on them for islands that surround Pine Pass that sort of beg for the adventurers to say, there's something there and we need to pick this up and we need to find out what's going on. And I leave it open enough for the DM to decide what needs to happen. There's even suggestions at the end of, does it have something to do with druids? Is there something going on with the animals here? Is there an expanding on the demon cult that's at the very end of this? Whatever your imagination is, run forth with it. Yeah, I really, like, I appreciated that as well. It's nice that it, on one hand, I want an adventure that I purchased to be self-contained. But on the other hand, I want it to be, not feel like I just dropped it and it has no ties to anything else in my world. So it's nice that you had those filler blocks and I can decide what they lead to, but it's right. already it's, built into the adventure that they're there. If you're not planning to play through potentially like a full adventure or module of this, it's still something you can take a hold of, put it in your own world, and it feels seamless. I mean, you can plug this into any game you're running and make it part of your own story. So talk to me a little bit or talk to us, David, about the writing and designing part of of creating a product to sell to others. What did that look like? What's, I mean, I know you had the story in the works and you said you ran it several times uh, for several different groups, but at some point you decided this could be a product and talk to me about how that process went about. The process goes through a few different steps before it came to fruition the way it is. Initially, it's I have an idea for point A and a point B. Point A is the start of the story. Point B is the end of the story. You will get from point A to point B. This one, it's a little more linear than other things that I work on because it's a lot smaller too, so I can't really sprawl out as much as other things that I work on. But I still want the story to be open enough that if you don't want to take the boat, there are other options. The The town can be alive with other ships. You could pay another merchant to get you over there. Or basically, I just want the characters to find their own way to tell their own story. So I try to leave as much open-endedness in how I tell something as I can and mm-hmm. make certain that the details are there so that no matter where they go, they're going to get bits and pieces of the story that lead them back towards the end. It's that the illusion of choice more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And once I start getting that put together and I start understanding where the details need to be, then I start crafting the dungeon. In this case, it was just the dungeon and I needed to know there are harpies here that are uh, fighting. There are key things that need to happen in the story. So how do I tie these together? And this is a spoiler for anybody who hasn't played it, but there is a sheriff that goes missing and that sheriff has been gone for a week. It is really the only law official for Pine Pass because it's such a a small town. So the first harpies that attack have a bit of a tie to to a harpy that's at the place that they need to get to. And the sheriff, the remains of that sheriff, can be found in that harpy's nest. But to keep things kind of open... I didn't make the rest of the story dependent upon finding that. So that that's something that could be bypassed altogether and just ignored. Yeah. Well, and the other thing really that could potentially be bypassed is even finding out kind of about the cult in the first place. It's it's definitely designed that you will have to deal with that just because of the the DC on the lock and stuff once you get up to the top. It's kind of designed that you should have to go find the key. But a group could potentially get there, open up that door, and get the lighthouse started without discovering any of the other stuff going on and make it back okay. And while that may finish the adventure, that leaves new story threads open to 
you as a DM because they didn't solve the the real issue going on on that island. Yep, and that's very true. And keeping that in mind, you have to you have to think how can I get them enough information so that if they don't deal with the end threat, they still sort of know where they're going at a later date. So there is a a beach right outside the point where everybody gets where the sheriff's boat is anchored right off the side of uh, an old crumbling pier. And if you investigate the sheriff's boat, you find basically the same information that you would find by going and dealing with the person at the very end, but it's not quite as complete. So it leaves more for the imagination and more conspiracy theories and causes more exploration of the area that's around them. Absolutely. So from deciding that you were going to make this into a product to having it PDF ready, I know that 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 couldn't have been just a, hey, I'm going to sit sit down and do this this week, and then I have complete freedom to get it finished the week after. But how long long of a process does this typically take you to create your first PDF? This one might have been a special case because I already had a working idea on what I wanted for it. And it was primordial. It was fluid because I would change it ever so slightly and tweak Encounter and tweak the dungeon or tweak the role play or tweak the ship battle that's in the middle of it until I got to a point where I said to myself, you know, this would actually be a really good one to write up. So by the time I got to the point where I was ready to write it up, I'd already played through it four times. Yeah. And I had a really good working idea of what I wanted for it. There were some loose threads that still need to be uh, taken care of and kind of tied off. But when I sat down to write this, I had penciled a paper all the way through to the PDF done in about three weeks. Wow. That's not too bad. And that's, that's great. That's including the artwork for the map as well. That was a four-day process just for the artwork. Okay, that's what I was going to ask is did it include your maps? Because I don't know if we've we've gushed over it in our, our official recording here or not, but these are definitely some nice-looking maps, stuff that you could use for, for really anything, but you definitely put good attention to detail in the maps. They feel like actual places without being cluttered, and in my opinion, it's worth picking up for those alone. Yeah. It's a nice lighthouse. It's a nice little dungeon underneath. And I'll go ahead and commend you. Um, the first thing when I picked up this adventure, the first thing that caught my eye was that you did not use the basic template found on the DM's guild. And you you put a lot of thought and design into the layout and the little elements of this PDF to where it feels like a finished product with careful thought and consideration towards not just the content, but towards the design. Right. So I went to college for 11 years and ended up with almost <laughs> three art designs or art uh, degrees. I've got uh, one specifically in graphic design. And when I set out to start this, I had a good idea of what I wanted for it to look like. And the template's fine for the DM skill. There's nothing wrong with it. It does exactly what it needs to do. But yeah, I'd already visualized something and I wanted to make what I visualized come to life. Yeah. And it, it, it definitely has its own flavor, but it feels like, you know, um, if you look at the different publishing houses, whether that's Wizards or whether that's Cobalt Press or Frog God or any of these places, they all have their feel of like you pick up one of their books, or you pick up one of their PDFs and you're like, yep, this feels like that product. And this feels like it's a design for a publisher in the same type of way. Like, you know, if you put out in other adventures, I'm going to assume that they have the same feel and people are going to come to recognize it as part of a whole which is nice yep i uh, actually have a good working template that i saved out specifically for me to play around with i'm more than likely what i'm thinking about doing as i move forward is 
anything that I move forward with will have different borders or different embellishments. And there's something I'm currently working on that's also going to have artwork that goes along with it as well. And I want it to feel like its own product, but also feel like part of the family. So I don't want it to be overly similar where I'm just falling back on the same thing time and time again. But I like it to feel like, oh yeah, you can definitely see that this is connected to the previous thing, or this is definitely connected to the next thing that's coming out. Because there are recurring elements. Now you have a finished PDF, and now it comes down to publishing this PDF on the DMs Guild. Now, there's other places that you can publish an adventure, but I think the consensus is that this is the one that gets you the most attention potential. Any any thoughts, any tips, any anything that you came away with getting this published there or anything you took away from that experience? I know it's brand new on the on that site, so I don't know how much interaction you've had. It's been it's been a small amount. I haven't gotten a lot of people that have uh, pulled from this yet, but I've gotten more from this than uh, Etsy, which <laughs> Etsy was my very first place for this. But I would say that there's some a credibility that goes along with places like Drive Through RPG and DMs Guild. People are going there looking for these specific items, yeah. so they know that what's on there will either be worth it or not. But they know exactly what they're looking for when they get there. Somewhere like Etsy, I'm working with a friend of mine to uh, do kind of a group thing. But Etsy is, I might be the only adventure pack on Etsy. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People aren't going there for D&D stuff. They go there for maybe some generic RPG things, terrain and the like. But mm-hmm. they're not going there specifically to find a written adventure. Sure. But that being said, a friend of mine and myself are kind of working in tandem on this specific adventure. And he's really big into terrain and he's really big into uh, 3D printing. So the Etsy shop, what's really the draw for that one is he has working terrain for every piece of furniture and trees and treasure chests and cave embellishments that go along with this map. On top of that, he has a full printed out 3D version of the entire lighthouse. So you can take the top off of it and play within it and then set the top back on and deal with the harpiness that's up top of it. That's pretty cool. I really send, like that. Yeah, I'll send you guys a link to it so that you can check it out. And if you're interested, you can, uh, I guess, do what you will with it to draw other people to it. But, man, his work for it is he is just a beast with getting this together. It's him and a friend that are doing the 3D modeling and it has got me really jealous of their skills it's something that i don't know if i have the time to learn but it is gorgeous well um, that's really cool it's almost like the um well what's the people that are doing the uh, uh water deep uh, uh beetlemans is that what they're called well they have like the 500 dollars like special edition of 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 uh dragon heist that has like the it has, oh it has a special set of minis and it has a, some special maps and some special handouts of x y and z all to make your your immersion and your storytelling capabilities of that, that published adventure easier and more realized. So this is interesting in that it's specifically a terrain kit for uh, an it's adventure. It's a terrain kit and uh, printed maps. Oh, uh, cool. So part of it is vinyl maps to go along with this, and that's part of what I want to make our maps, or the maps that I'm making, so reusable. I don't want to put anything that story-specific detail for this story because if we can print them out on vinyl then kind of keep the detail to a bare minimum so that you can play the map repetitively for different stories then it's not you know it's not i bought this map it's beautiful but it's very specific to this one thing and i can never play for anything else right but at the same time it is definitely 
really good for this. Obviously, it's designed for this, but it's a for the Etsy shop. It's a three. It's a three parts to a whole. It's the written adventure. It's the uh, vinyl maps, and it's the terrain all together. Perfect. Well, for our listeners, I will. If you send us that link, I'll have that linked down in the description of the episode when this goes up. All right. Yeah, I can do that. Sweet. So, yeah, you, you got it there. You got it on Etsy. That's very cool. Now, don't let me discount DM's Guild by far. Uh, as far as the adventure goes, that is the way to go. Yeah. I think no, I've gotten more for the adventure there than I've gotten on Etsy. But Etsy's specifically more for the terrain aspect of it. Right, which I love. I mean, the fact that you can partner with someone on that and add a little bit more depth to your adventures is great. I, I don't know. Maybe someone else has done that and I just haven't seen it, but that's the first I've heard of anyone kind of doing a dual system like that for an adventurer's guild kind of setup, and I, I like it a lot. So let's see. We talked about that. Before we move on to talking about, I, I want to talk a little bit about some, some mini topics within this. But before we move on to that, you, you said you wanted to have an opportunity, and we'd love for you to, to tease your upcoming projects that you might be working on. Yes, so this was sort of a tease for my style. I wanted to get this out here, so if anybody was interested in it, they could take it and see how they appreciated it, if they liked it or not, and just really get a feel for who I am as a creator. But I am also working on a very major thing. We talked earlier, you uh, you guys and I were talking earlier before we got started about this large, overarching, almost five-year campaign that I put together. Mm -hmm. I have joked around for years that I am a hyper prepper when it comes to my games. <laughs> and I have my party get to a city. That city is fully fleshed out. That city has five or six dungeons that are part of it. It has a sprawling storyline. It has active NPCs. It has side quests. It has custom magic items, custom monsters. And I've written every single one of these cities out between uh, 50 and 80 pages a piece. And wow. Each one of these are about to drop as a chapter. I'm My plans and my goals, what I've got my fingers crossed for, is the first chapter should drop sometime in January. It is a level one through five campaign that starts off a major story that begins with escorting prisoners from a small town to the city. And by the time you get to the end of story, chapter four, you are battling a demigod that is vying for the rights to claim the material realm. Now, hmm. you you said this was kind of based off that five-year campaign that you had done all your prep work for. Just as a heads up to our listeners, that's no small feat. He already kind of mentioned that his goal was to get 1 through 20, but you said you your group ended at, what, level 25? You started getting to that epic well, we upper echelons of play? We oh. haven't quite ended yet. <laughs> so... I like to keep things kind of interesting with my characters. I'm very much a DM that is, oh, you have a really unique concept and you want to come to me and say, can I do such and such? I, I prefer the yes, but here's how we can work that in. And I had a, a player as a joke said, I want to play a god. And I was like, okay, but here's the deal. We're going to go with an amnesia storyline. You're going to start gaining powers that are random. Because the god you chose is the god of luck, so it's going to be all on chance on what you have. I get to choose when your character goes out of the story. When you realize your full godhood, your character is no longer playable. And she agreed to it. And we got halfway through our story, and it was a very emotional game. It ended with tears, and everybody was 
sort of choking up at the table. It's one of my top five games I've ever had. But one of the uh, paladins in our story had already kind of endeared himself to the god without knowing that that was the god. And by the end of it, by the end of that character's story arc, uh, he had sworn that no matter what, they would reconstitute this goddess and bring her back. We are about three or four sessions away from finishing that story. And when that's done, I'm calling it quits. Because we should be about level 26 <laughs> at that point. And there's oh, wow. nothing I can throw at these guys now that will actually stay in game for more than two rounds. I literally <laughs> threw four purple worms at them, and they lasted two and a half rounds. The paladin in the party yeah. has a plus 18 to his charisma save. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Once, once you get to even just level 20, things are already kind of chaotic and out of hand i can only imagine what happens when you're stacking levels on top of that were they like multi-classing for extra feats or did you give them things beyond what is normally in the book for a level 20 so we no longer get proficiency bonuses it stops at plus six you no longer get new hit points what you instead get is a choice of four items you get an epic boon you get a new feat you can get a uh modifier like a plus two to any any of your six scores or you can take a new level and when you take the new level it's a class level from a class you haven't already taken in and you don't get any hit points from it you don't get any additions to your proficiency but you can gain those class features so if you went 20 levels in ranger now you can start getting five levels of rogue but just Mm. the features of the rogue so i still make it so that there's a choice between every level up that they do so that it gives them a little more flavor than everybody gets the same epic boon every level that's interesting i really like i like the idea especially of capping hit points and i assume with that and just with other things like that means that you're also getting to like yeah well you said you're capping in in a big way you're capping proficiency bonus which means you're capping skill abilities and you're capping probably ac is pretty much capped unless they get a magic item somehow some way that that increases it but you're keeping the game manageable for yourself and not make <laughs> to, to a degree to an extent. yeah <laughs> Keep, keeping in mind that i've got seven players that are level 25 so Lord. yeah That's, that you you have a failure out the gate to really ever challenge them. i mean if you if you throw anything at them at all that is a challenge you have you are a successful dn at this point well, I've got something in my back pocket that I've been holding on to for ages, and we will see. It's a it's a modified uh, – I don't know how familiar people are with the uh, older school stuff, the uh, Marut that they put into the Morgan Canaan's uh, stuff here. It's basically an Inevitable from three third edition, 3.5. Okay. I'm mixing an Inevitable with a Tarrasque and stacking stuff on top of that. And wow. they already know that they're walking into this. They know this is going to be the end boss for them. <laughs> and they're – as much as they've been destroying everything – I still see fear when I mention that what they're about to go up against. And that's really what I need. That craves the internal uh, masochist in me. I just want to cause fear and dread and pain, you know, plot my friend's demise every weekend like a normal human being. Well, and that's that's what makes the best sort of the best sort of moments in your game. You, you mentioned bringing bringing a table to tears, but it's that that addition of drama and tension is is really why people come back to the table. So the fact that you have this creature that you've built up and that they've had tension about facing for sessions now, that's almost enough in and of itself. Even if the fight isn't isn't a twelve round 
fight to the finish, you've succeeded, at least in part already, by making them scared before they walk into it. Right. The expectation's there. And part of it at this point is if I can get a psychological battle there to begin with and psych them out, then maybe I have more of a chance. But they're already a little worried before they get there. And it causes it to be built up better for them, even if it isn't. Even if the dice fall and they slaughter it in one round, it was built up for them enough that they can be excited that it happened in one round instead of, oh, yep, another big one went down. So you talked about the Marut, and I just want to comment on that. That is an insane creature, and I would be terrified to fight it just by itself, just with kind of all of its immunities and just different different abilities. It's a fascinating creature, so the idea that you're adding, combining that with the Triask is kind of terrifying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Consider a Tarrasque that automatically hits when it says it wants to hit and does a set number of damage. Because yeah. that's what I love about the Marut. It's it's the inevitable. It is. It will hit you because it will hit you. It will do this much damage because it will do this much damage. And when you stack that on top of a Kaiju, a World Devourer, it's not something you laugh at. No matter if you're level 26 or 3,000, there's something terrifying there. And we won't get any too far into it because I know it's Hopefully, you might have a player listening to this at some point, and uh, we'll save that surprise for them. But I, I am impressed by that combination, that auto-hit, and all the other fun things that Amharut can do. Indeed, yeah. Well, if there's anything else you want to plug, or we can dive right into our, our mini-topic for this episode, if you're ready to go there. Well, I'll just say uh, one last time, The uh, hopefully January is when this is going to drop. I'm going to put it into the DMs Guild. It will be Chapter 1 of Knights of the Shadowfell. Ooh. And... Uh, this will be, I'm very much looking to uh, kind of gain attention for the next three chapters. So when this drops, I'm going to do a uh, pay what you will specifically for this one to really draw in the focus on it. Because I've put a lot of work into this. All the maps are my maps. Every adventure that's in it has been created specifically from me. It's a very personal project. So I'm really wanting it to be out there and I wanted to share it with as many people as possible. So I'm very much looking forward to getting this in January if I can. Awesome. That's that's really exciting. I I wish you the best on the pay what you will. I can tell our listeners that even though this is pay what you will, I, I can guarantee you it is worth dropping a good amount of coin on if it is anything like this little adventure that we're talking about here tonight. It's quality. It's quality. And for the uh, listeners, I may have teased the maps for these guys already, so they're not lying, hopefully. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they they look good. A, again, I want to hit on what we kind of talked about in this. I think it would be worth picking up that next adventure just for the maps alone. Good quality maps, reusable in pretty much any setting, just solid artwork. So for the maps alone, you have my vote. Well, good. Well, let's dive into um, just a little topic just to kind of round it out. Some I know a lot of our listeners love to hear when our guests come on and what their passions are about. Some of our listeners say, I came here to, to hear people talk about D&D and, and my games are specific to the, the rule book. So let's talk for a little bit about minor magic items and creating minor magic items for low-level characters. What What's everybody's thoughts on those low-level items and keeping them from breaking your game early on? Oh my goodness. When they came out with the uh, Xanathar's Guide and they had that list of common items, common magic items... Yeah. I was in love with so many of them. <laughs> See, my problem with those common magic items is I've thrown a few out to the players in my game, and they never really 
dive into any of them. So they've got a bag full of stuff that they haven't really touched yet. Uh, I mean, they can always sell them. That's five gold pieces of pop. <laughs> they can sell them. They haven't even touched their obviously magical sword that they've got stuffed in their bag of holding <laughs> yet. So yeah, for they, Micah's party, hint, hint, wink, wink. Hey, so if any of my players are listening, you guys know you have a ton of magic items, right? You're just not using any of them. <laughs> no, we have no idea. So I, I pre- I will, I'm making a note. <laughs> Relook at every single item. I, okay. The worst part is I'm not taking notes. Once I give them to you guys, I don't know what you have anymore. Unless you guys are keeping track, I'm at a loss. I remember most of them. I'm the worst. Ooh. I, I do not. I I don't do the over prep thing that you do. I do the uh, let's improvise this whole session thing, and <laughs> that's not true. I take a few notes. I take a few notes, but uh, the few notes he takes is just all right. Let's see what's on today's agenda for magic item Russian roulette. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> what what I want to say about the low magic items is that they're pretty much never game breaking. You've you can throw on like just the goofiest effects and we'll we'll get into the one specifically you kind of included in for this adventure but you can throw it in maybe for a specific maybe one-time use that you think they'll get out of a story beat and then they come up with just the most off the wall uses to get as much longevity out of these things as possible and just seeing your your players minds work and how they try to use the tools at their disposal is probably my favorite part about low magic items. Yeah. Yeah. A lo- the lower the magic item it is, the more resourceful it seems to be compared to an artifact. When you have an artifact, for the most part, you know what that artifact does. And it is the one time you, or it's not a one time use, but it's for any instance where hack and slash happens, this artifact will be there. Whereas, yeah. well, you were specifically mentioning the one that I created for the adventure here. It is, uh, it's called the earplugs of deafening. Yes. So the earplugs of deafening, it's basically just beeswax that you stick in your ears. That's, that's basically <laughs> it, but it stops. I feel like I'm, I'm like mentally picturing myself as like a used car salesman here, but it's like, it stops harpies. It stops banshees. It stops your nagging mother-in-law. It is the earplugs of deafening. Just one pop in and you don't have to hear them again. That yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> right. It's like the best set of noise-canceling earphones ever. It's magical deafness. It's not just muted sound. Uh, an obvious use for the adventure you threw it in against those harpies. But I could 100% see that coming back into play where players find some sort of weird use in order to, to get through some social interaction. I love stuff like this. I love common magic items because it really gives the DM a chance to come up with something that's just, it's a bit of insanity. It's a bit of uh, comic relief. And that's partially what I was going for when I created what I did for this. And partly it's placed in such a way so as to tease what's coming in the next room. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'll add another section to why I like these, I- this type of items. I think that D&D, when players step into D&D, the game at its core is something of a it, it's a storytelling game, but it's also a game with some expectations. And one of those expectations that you level up, you gain items and those items become magical or those items are magical. And 
that's something that every player is like looking for every single session. They're like, oh, where's the magic item? And and that's been ingrained in them more and more with video game culture and that instant gratification. And I don't think that that has to be a bad thing, like the idea that you're looking for a magic item in every single session. But I think that we have to find a creative way to satisfy that urge in our players, that reasonable urge, without ruining the the challenge of the adventure two sessions down the road. And That's a very interesting concept because basically it's like saying we're we're prepping for a magic items arms race. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I like magic items when I'm playing in a game and the DM's like, you have a magic item, which evidently we have a whole bag full that we didn't know about. <laughs> but but when the DM says you have magic, item, my ears perk up. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I want that. Um, it's a it's an integral part of the game and it makes the game more interesting. And that's all reasonable. I don't want to frown on that. And as a DM, I want to encourage that to a reasonable extent. But I don't want to encourage that to the detriment of the tacticalness or the difficulty of encounters later. And I don't want to hype, you know, it becomes this horrific spiral when you're creating these powerful items and because you gave them this plus two sword at level two now you have to beef up the cr of the encounter next session well then that means that they're gonna you know now they're gonna die easier even because they're killing things quicker but those things can hurt them more it it just becomes this this imbalanced mess potentially and common magic items cut through all that and say here here's your fun go play with it be creative uh but we're gonna save the stuff that really has the immediate effect for later on down the road it's that it's that carrot that's dangling just low enough for them to enjoy it before the bigger carrot comes dangling through yeah exactly yeah. well like the two that stick out the most for me that i got maybe the one one a decent chuckle out of and then one we kind of caused you to pause zach was you had an item in your game that whoever held the the coin their face appeared on the coin and it it was meant to just be kind of a throwaway hey it's kind of a cool little thing and we're like hey we do some seedy stuff sometimes we can ensure that we're all who we say we are by making everyone touch the coin and if someone's face doesn't pop up there correctly we know that they don't belong all right first off i'm stealing that (laughs) (laughs) i really like that idea I didn't even I just like this is a this thing is not going to break my game and my players are going to find interesting things to do with it. And sure enough, there it went. The other item that I really liked was my brother introduced an item to some of his players. It was a little squeaky bouncy ball. And when you throw it, it has the potential to charm whoever it is thrown past to have just an incredible urge to chase the ball. So it's it's the ball of the good boy. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> it, it was it was a ball that you can make anyone be forced to play fetch with. <laughs> and so it, those are two of my favorite, like, very low-end magic items. They're not anything crazy, but you can get some fun uses out of it. They're interesting without being insane. And just one of those things you're happy to have in your bag. I'm going to throw out one more way, one more way that I look at low-level magic items. I like to throw in an item that maybe has an actually a good effect, like gives you an extra spell slot for this specific spell or whatever, but it comes along with a curse or a bane or a detriment as well. So the idea here is that hopefully there's a positive and a negative that cancel out to make it a a wash of an item that eventually they're going to say, this isn't worth it, maybe. Or they're going to carry this bane along with them for a long time and make my job a little bit easier 
in well, certain aspects. Speaking of cursed items, can I just say I'm so glad that our guest here supports the use of cursed items, especially here at these low levels. I think it's another good teaching moment where they get a pretty neat little magic item during the course of this adventure, but it has a curse on it. And it's a great way to introduce curses to your players. Some things are not always as good as they seem. And it's at a level where not everybody just has removed curse that they can just throw around whenever they want. Like, it, it's got some weight behind it. And just another little moment that, one, it's a cool little item, and two, it's a good little teaching moment for your players. And I think you can have both of those at the same time with that. I actually waffled back and forth on if I wanted to get that cursed item in here or not. I really like the idea of it. And I tend to not do as many curses because, well, being honest, I forget that curses are a thing more often than not. <laughs> but uh, this goes back to the I wanted this to be what really pushed my hand, forced it to get this into the game was I wanted to introduce as much as possible in a six page uh, story. So there, like I said, we have the mechanics for the uh, harpoon gun on the boat. We have the mechanics for a skill challenge in the sheriff's boat when you're trying to investigate it. And I wanted to end it with something interesting with a cursed item. And because I'm ending this module with a cursed item, you should be roughly level two to level three if you start at level one. So it's not a big cursed item for this. Well, and if you're someone like me who doesn't level your players up very often, it's been a year and I think they all just hit level five. They're going to get through this whole thing, and they're still going to be uh, maybe two. If they go through at level one, <laughs> they'll get to be level two when they're done. If you're tracking experience, yes, you should You should have gotten a couple levels. Uh, yes. If you've got a DM who believes in the milestone system and not uh, letting his players ever level up and have fun. I mean, let's be honest, the milestone system is probably the best system out there. Just saying. Feel yeah. free to hate on me for that, but I absolutely love milestone leveling. No, it's it's fascinating. I don't know if you're an Adventures League player. It doesn't really sound like it, but with the Season 8 changes, you know, they, they changed a whole lot about how character level progression goes. And what's fascinating to me is people are up in arms about the level the Season 8 changes, except for everybody seems to be like, yeah, milestone leveling, that that's that part's cool. <laughs> and and I really like it. It's, oh, yeah. it feels It feels so much better to have milestone leveling. It feels like... The level feels more like a reward for finishing a story point. Yeah. And less like a, uh, we have slaughtered a whole lot of stuff and therefore have leveled up. And I think it kind of mitigates some of the murder hoboing mentality. Yeah, the murder hoboing and then the video gaminess of the system. A lot of people are like, well, that next area might be pretty dangerous. Let's just go kill some stuff over here for a while. And instead... Of grinding until you get what you need. Right. And now yeah. it's like, well... It's part of the story. We can ignore it, but things may happen. But we can probably deal with it. I mean, if it, if it's that dangerous, well, maybe we'll level up when we're done. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I tend to lean more towards the, I don't want them killing all my NPCs that I spent so long creating personalities for. Because, you know, the shopkeep has a family. And he and his family are worth 100 experience points. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that that's very that's a very solid point. All well, right, I'm good. You good? Yeah, I was about to say. I think we're pretty much good to wrap up. David, do you have anything else you want to finish on? Any lasting final thoughts you want to leave with our listeners? Just that I hope that if you get this adventure, that you enjoy it. 
and I would love to hear from anybody that plays it what your thoughts are. Maybe consider it my insecurities, but I do like a little bit of validation so I know that I'm on the right track. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Reviews, feedback is always appreciated. Make sure you, if you have feedback and if it is critical, just make sure it's something that can be worked with. And that goes for, for pretty much anything. It's a hobby we all enjoy and we all want to see it get better. And I've had, like I said, I've got three degrees in art. I know how to take critical criticism. <laughs> so again, this is uh, David Barentine. Well, your last name for the folks, B-A-R-R-E-N-T-I-N-E, Barentine, said it wrong the first time. And his adventure is called Lights Out at the Night Watch Lighthouse. Again, Lights Out at the Night Watch Lighthouse. And his upcoming campaign to look for is called tell me again the knights of the Shadowfell. the knights of the Shadowfell, and it's coming out hopefully we're going to keep our fingers crossed sometime after the first of the year in january yep. at this point all that's left is editing for the story so i i'm really going to push for january awesome Awesome. Well, we appreciate uh, having David on here. We are going to wrap up this episode, but we are going to have him included in our next regular episode. So look for him one more time and hopefully catch you guys later. See ya. Bye. Bye.